Today is week three of our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality series, and our scripture reading is found in Genesis chapter 50. Listen now for the word of the Lord. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. One of my favorite commercials on TV are the progressive insurance commercials. One of the characters' names is Dr. Rick, and Dr. Rick has one goal, to stop young homeowners from turning into their parents. In one commercial, Dr. Rick visits a couple of young homeowners, and the wife is very concerned about her husband because he is meticulously cleaning the garbage cans. Dr. Rick walks out to this young homeowner and asks, why? The man answers, to keep them safe. Dr. Rick says, but you've already put your name and your address on your garbage cans. The man replies, you can never be too safe. Dr. Rick says, with trash? The commercial ends with a voiceover, progressive. Can't protect you from turning into your parents, but when you bundle your auto and your home insurance with us, we can protect your home and auto. Years ago, I was at a dinner party. It was a, a nice dinner party. And I was eating lasagna. It was great lasagna. And I was eating it and, and grunting, mmm, this lasagna is delicious. Our host looked at me and said, who's that? That's not you. Is that your dad? I said, mmm, is my grandfather. As a young man, I realized I was turning into my grandparents. One of the few things that I do to annoy my wife is chug seltzer 
And when I finished chugging, I let out an ah. Pretty annoying, right? One time after my parents visited, Melissa said to me, I caught your mother drinking seltzer. When she was finished, she let out an ah. As a middle-aged man, I realized I was turning into my parents. Have you ever done or said something that made you stop and say, oh no, I'm turning into my parents? Oh no, I'm turning into my grandparents? Or parents and grandparents, have you ever had the blessed experience of witnessing your children or grandchildren doing something and you said, oh yes, they've seen the light. They're turning into us. Today, our emotionally healthy spirituality topic is going back to go forward. And Pastor Pete Scazzaro lays out one of the key concepts in this chapter. He says, we take, we all take certain ways of thinking and doing things from our families of origin. And if you think about it, it makes sense. As a child, just about everything you learn, you learn from those who raised you or from your family of origin. Just about everything you do or don't do. Just about everything you believe and don't believe. From marriage to managing money. From playing to parenting. From expressing anger and showing affection to achieving success. All of us have inherited blessings and baggage from our families of origin. And some of us can look back at our life and say, I inherited far more blessings than baggage from my family. And still others, you're dealing with the baggage today from your family of origin. When the Bible uses the word family, the Bible uses the word a bit differently than we use the word. In the Bible, family means your entire extended family from three to four generations. Family in the Bible means grandparents and great-grandparents, uncles and aunts going back to the 1800s. And Exodus 20 teaches us that our family history affects our present day family. Listen to what God said to Moses. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Am I the only postmodern person who deems this verse to be a bit unfair? My, my question to the Lord would be, why would you punish me for something my great-grandmother Vincenza did in the 1800s. Why would God punish you for something your great-uncles and aunts did long, long ago? Hebrew scholars say the word punishing in this context does not indicate Grandma Sally sinned, therefore I'm going to take it out on them. Here, punishing means consequences that repeat themselves. 
what happens in one generation repeats itself and has consequences in the next. Now that's something we can all agree with, right? Because we've seen this reality, for better or for worse, play out. If you are a child of parents who stayed married, guess what? The probability of you staying married is higher than someone who is a child of divorced parents. Now, it doesn't mean you're, you're doomed to committing the, the, the mistakes or, or the patterns of your past, but you are more likely to repeat behaviors that have already occurred in your family. Hence the, mm, ah. And social scientists debate over whether, whether this is nature or nurture, but the Bible makes it clear. The blessings and sins of our families going back three to four generations follow us and repeat themselves. And when you read the very first pages of the book of Genesis, one thing that becomes clear about families is there is no perfect family. Uh, some of you may, may think that your, your, your family is, is far better than, than other families or your family is far worse than any other family. What we find in the opening pages of Genesis is wherever you find families, you find dysfunction. Wherever you find families, you find sin and broken relationships, and they repeat themselves from generation to generation. And this morning, Joseph's family is our case study. In Joseph's family, there was a repeating pattern of lying and deceit in each generation. Joseph's father's name was Jacob. The name Jacob means deceiver, and Jacob lied to an awful lot of people. And so it's no surprise that this pattern of lying and deceit repeats in Joseph's relationships with his brothers. His brothers lied about Joseph's death. There was favoritism in each generation. You remember, siblings were cut off from one another throughout Joseph's family's history. Abraham favored Ishmael. Isaac favored Esau. Rebekah favored Jacob. Jacob favored Joseph. There was estrangement in each generation. Siblings were cut off from one another. Isaac and Ishmael were cut off. Jacob and Esau were cut off. Joseph and his brothers were cut off. And there were dysfunctional marriages in each generation. And, and husbands sitting in here today, I actually doubt that you did this one, but the, the father of the faith, the patriarch of Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, his name was Abraham. Abraham actually lied about his relationship to his wife, Sarah. He called Sarah his very sister to save his own skin. Sarah gave Abraham her slave to sleep with. Talk about dysfunctional marriages. Jacob had two wives and two concubines. Imagine that dynamic. Two wives and two girlfriends living in the same house. Not exactly healthy family dynamics. No family's perfect yet. God has chosen this family, and God has chosen your family, and God works through this family. At the age of 17, we see 
the consequences that repeat themselves in the life of this teenager named Joseph. Father Jacob showed Joseph favoritism. If you've read a children's Bible, you know the story. Joseph was the only of his 11 brothers to receive a coat of many colors. And Joseph was immature. He told his 10 older brothers about a dream in which they'd bow down and serve him, not smart. This created a major sibling rivalry. Anyone experience a sibling rivalry growing up? Did they try to throw you in a pit? Because that's what happened to Joseph. His brothers threw him in a cistern that was between 50 and 100 feet deep. Then the brothers changed their mind. They decided that they wouldn't make any money off of his debt, but it would be more profitable to sell Joseph into slavery. Now, this is the first mention of human trafficking in the Bible. Joseph is, tra is trafficked to Egypt as a teenager, cut off from his family, his land, and his culture. Joseph was estranged. And Joseph's brothers lied to their father about his death. They told Father Jacob that he had been attacked by a ferocious animal. Joseph was sold to a man named Potiphar. Joseph became Potiphar's chief of staff. Unfortunately, Potiphar's wife noticed Joseph. Joseph was well-built and handsome. And she said, come to bed with me. Joseph, being faithful to his God and to his boss, said no. She accused him of rape. And Joseph spent over a decade in an Egyptian prison cell. Can you imagine Joseph day after day, what he thought about what he asked? I wonder if he asked God, what did I do to deserve so much pain and suffering? I wonder if he fantasized about getting back at his brothers who were the cause of all this pain and suffering. By the age of 30, Joseph's life felt like, looked like a complete tragedy. If anybody should have been filled with bitterness and rage toward his family and toward God, it could have been, should have been Joseph. But Joseph wasn't. We hear that throughout the trauma of his teenage and young adult years, over and over again, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And Joseph knew that the Lord was with him. And the Lord prospered Joseph, even in the midst of this messy family history. And eventually, Joseph became the second most powerful person in the Egyptian empire. And there was a great famine in the land. And Joseph's brothers came to Egypt in search of food. Now, Joseph had his opportunity. If he wanted to repay them for what they had done, Joseph had an open door, a green light. He could do whatever he wanted. Yet Joseph doesn't repay evil for evil. Joseph saves his brothers from starvation. He offers them a home and land in the land of Egypt. Joseph blesses his family. And the book of Joseph, and the book of Genesis, excuse me, concludes with the end of Joseph's story. Genesis 15, we hear that Jacob has died. And Joseph's brothers are afraid. 
because in the back of their mind, they believe that maybe Joseph had treated them so kindly only because Father Jacob was still alive. This is what the patriarch of the family desired. And so they don't go directly to Joseph. They send Joseph a message from a safe distance. And here was their message. Remember what dad said on his deathbed. His dying wish was, Joseph, forgive us. Joseph, forgive us. That's all Father Jacob really wanted. And so the brothers are leveraging their father's memory to plead with Joseph to forgive them. Now Joseph has the power to forgive or not to forgive, to make them pay or to seek reconciliation. And Joseph chooses to break the cycle of family dysfunction. He chooses to break the cycle of generational sin. And the question is how? How did God empower Joseph to do it his way, to to follow in God's footsteps? Well, this is Genesis chapter 50, verse 21, and it's going to surprise you. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Joseph wept. It doesn't say he cried. Crying is something we do when we break a bone. Joseph, Joseph wept. Weeping is something to do when our is something we do when our hearts are breaking. Weeping is an expression of grief. Grief is good. Have you heard the expression good grief? Grief is a gift from God, and so are Joseph's tears. Salt water brings healing. And I get it. Most of us don't want to go back and face the pain of our past, but Joseph took time to grieve. He didn't rationalize or justify or minimize the pain and the suffering caused by his brothers. Joseph grieved. And out of his grieving came a willingness and a readiness to go forward by breaking this cycle of family dysfunction. Number one, grieve your losses. Second, Joseph's brothers come to him and they throw themselves down before him and they say, we are your slaves. And Joseph says these words, do not be afraid. And then he asks this question, am I in the place of God? Joseph's words teach us something about being or placing ourselves in the place of God. Of God. Joseph's brothers were concerned that he was holding a grudge and would repay them. What's the implication? Every time you and I hold a grudge, stay resentful, nurse our anger, and make people pay either directly and openly or passive aggressively, we are placing ourselves in the place of God. Romans 12 says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay them. When we sit in judgment, gossip, give the silent treatment, refuse to forgive, make anyone pay, we'll convince ourselves that we're winning, but we'll lose every time. God's place is judge. It's not our place. God's place is to repay. It's not our place. Joseph avoids taking God's place. Number two, avoid taking God's place. 
Then Joseph makes this extraordinary statement. Joseph tells his brothers, you intended to harm me. You intended to sink me. You intended to ruin me. You intended to do evil upon me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Do you know what Joseph has? Joseph was a man who walked with God. The Lord was with him. And instead of taking an earthly, fleshly, narrow-minded human view, Joseph takes God's view of what has happened to him throughout his life. Joseph can see it from God's perspective. You filled my life with pain. You filled my life with harm. You were evil, but you couldn't sink me. You tried, but you couldn't ruin me. You, you couldn't defeat God's will for my life. Joseph knew the Lord was with me, the Lord is always, always good, and the Lord works even evil for our good. The Lord is with you. I don't know what has happened to you or transpired in your past, what people have done to you, maybe family or people who you thought were friends or colleagues, but the Lord is with you and the Lord is always, always good and the Lord is guiding you in your darkest hour and the Lord uses even the evil that has been done to you for good. Take God's view. Number three, take God's view of your life. And here's the last thing, to go forward with God and break the cycle of, of generational sin. Here's what Joseph says to his brothers, all 11 of them, don't be afraid. I will provide for you. Not only will I provide for you, I will provide for your children. D do you know what that is? It's not just mercy, because mercy means to withhold punishment. It's not just forgiveness, because forgiveness means to give up your right to pay them back. This is grace. Joseph extends God's grace to his brothers. Grace is I'm giving you something you don't deserve, something you could never earn and can never repay because God loves you in spite of what you did to me. And I'm not just going to bless you. I'm going to bless your children. This is God's grace. And this is the last thing that we can do to go back, to break the cycle and go forward, forging a new path of blessing for our families. Transform family pain by extending God's grace. And I know you, you're thinking, I, I, I could never forgive them or forgive him or forgive her for what they did to me. And you're right, you can't. But the spirit of God living inside of you can empower you to do that. This is what breaks chains of generational dysfunction. This is what sets the captive free. Mercy, forgiveness, grace, and blessing. Mercy, forgiveness, grace, and blessing. This is how Christ overcomes evil with good, and this is how we overcome evil with good, by extending God's grace. I pray. I pray that you know it's not too late. 
I pray that this would spark a new way of being a family for you. That you may look at your past and your present and not feel anger or bitter, but receive God's healing, God's mercy, God's grace, and pass it on to those who have hurt you. God can heal your heart. God can transform your pain. God can give you the grace to extend to others. So this week, be brave as you go forward into your materials, into your small groups, and don't be afraid. And remember, generations are counting on you. This, this work of discipleship, it's not just about you. It's not just about your happiness. It's not just about your present day family. It's not just about you getting even. Generations are counting on us to do this work. And if we're willing to go back and do this work, we'll realize that the Lord is with us. Jesus has gone ahead of us. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And you have a church family who is surrounding you. So go back. See how the past is affecting your present. That God might break the cycle of sin and bless your present family. And change the generations to come. May it be so on this day and forevermore. And we all say together, amen.